Bibles with me. Don't mean to make you nervous when I say I feel a little awkward. I just sometimes sense there's something else happening. Something else maybe that needs to occur. And uh, maybe that's just a change in me. <clears throat> and that would be okay too. I just want to submit to it. Father, this morning as we open your word, I sincerely ask that you would have your way. Lord, that your word would be honored in our midst. That you, yourself, would be honored in our midst. That our hearts would be drawn to you. That our minds will be captured by who you are and your glory. That our union with you will become more and more obvious and pleasant. Father, we do pray that you would bring comfort and life into every single part of your body this morning as we gather in your name, Jesus. Imagine with me for a moment, if you would, that you're a part of a little church in a town called Colossae. It's in Central Asia or Mid-Asia over there. Actually, now it's in the land of Turkey. It's a good opening for a bad joke right there. bunch of turkeys but yeah that may be it maybe I just need to get it out of my system <clears throat> but we've gathered in a small place like this in our little town and not far away is another town named Laodicea Hierapolis is uh, nearby and Ephesus isn't too far away but we've gathered as those who have come in our community to know Jesus, perhaps through the ministry of a man named Epaphras, who was in Ephesus while Paul was preaching and ministering in the house next door to the synagogue for a couple of years and teaching the word of God and bringing understanding to the people that Jesus was the Messiah. He's preaching the good news and Epaphras hears the good news and eventually then takes the good news back to his town, which is our town, Colossae, this morning. And uh, has shared and people all over the city have become Christians now. And are completed Jews, as we call them today, or Messianic Jews. They've come to know the Messiah. And they gather regularly in, in the temple, if you will, and in house to house. And this is the pattern of the New Testament gatherings. Is it all over town now there are groups of people that get together to discuss this ongoing relationship with the risen Savior. And so we gather this morning, and as we come together, um, I being the leader of this little gathering this morning, say, hey... We got a letter from Paul. He wrote to us. And he asked me to read the letter to you. And so here we gather as believers. And uh, and they say, well, where is Paul these days? Well, he's in prison. Actually, he's under house arrest. He's been accused of some improper thing, and probably by the Jews. And, and uh, so he's under house arrest over um, waiting for his accusers to come and lay their accusations against him. But he's under house arrest. He's able to write letters and have guests and speak and preach and minister. And so, but he wrote this letter to us. And uh, in fact, I'll need to go over. To, I've got all, I've got the whole book of Colossians printed out here. So I don't, this is my Bible this morning, eight and a half by 11. In fact, if you look at chapter four, it's a little harder to do this way. 
chapter 4, verse 7, Paul saying, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending, anybody recognize this name? Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Onesimus, runaway slave, used to belong to a guy named Philemon. Remember the little letter to Philemon? Very likely that Paul wrote the letter to Philemon, his friend, after and recommending to Philemon, hey, I'm sending Onesimus back. I know he ran away and you've got every right to do whatever you want to with him because he's your property. But I want you to know that he's given his heart to Jesus and he's got a life change going on and I'm sending him back to you. And by the way, you owe me, Philemon, because I helped announce the faith to you and you are a believer as well. And so I encourage you in his letter, he says, I encourage you to receive Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And so Tychicus said, Onesimus are taking these letters, Onesimus carrying his very own letter back to his slave owner to vouch for him by the Apostle Paul and Tychicus carrying the letter to the Colossians. And you would also find here toward the closing of the chapters a comment from Paul in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, after you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. This is the beginning of the handing out of the New Testament for us. This is how it started. And why did it happen? Let's cover that just for a moment. The Colossian church was a young church, and so was the church in Laodicea. And, you know, when they show up again in the book of Revelation, unfortunately, but into the church was coming a mix of teaching. Here we are, very fastened into the Truth Project at Christian Center and laying a strong spiritual, biblical worldview foundation for our lives. And at the onset, the gospel had come through to Colossae, and Paul had never been there. He had only knew them via Epaphras, and, uh, but he loved them nonetheless because they were an extension of his ministry through those he had ministered to. And as they had received the word, and they were young and they were growing in Christ, uh, a mix of doctrine was coming in. Uh, the things that we know now is called Gnosticism and asceticism. And uh, Gnosticism, which really became more popular and very advanced in the second century, this is happening in the first century, but the seeds are here of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism teaches that the body and materialism is basically evil, and God is only spirit and therefore all good. And the only way to get from us in our miserable state over to where God is and have the fullness of God is to find these various portals of, of uh, manipulation and getting uh, removed more and more from the flesh and the material life uh, and finding these mysterious ways through to get to God. And this was mixing into the church. Asceticism was teaching that if you uh, just um, worked harder, work harder and, and put your flesh down, uh, the flesh is no good, therefore you should do things to it, hurt it, uh, inf- afflict it, don't pamper it, uh, just you know, deny it, and, and then uh, that will make you more holy and it will make you more acceptable to God. 
And then, of course, you had the Judaism aspect that was leaking in as well with all this mix. There are these three, at least these three things were mixing. And the Jews were saying, well, you know, yeah, you guys are Gentiles, so you really need to get, and this happened at the Galatian area too, you need to be circumcised. And you need to keep all the laws. You need to keep the new moons and the feasts and the Sabbaths and do all this stuff too because you're just heathen. And so the Colossians were getting together and probably scratching their heads a little bit saying, how do we sort this out? <clears throat> what is it that we're supposed to be doing? Uh, they couldn't turn to the book of Colossians yet, like you and I can, and read it. But here it comes to them. And kind of so we gather. Here we are, the church. Hey, we got a letter from Paul. We say we read it. And, and I would imagine after they got done reading it, as would happen here, if we didn't have the Bible, right? If we didn't have a, a collection of our own, and we read this from the Apostle Paul, what would you want? A copy. A copy. <laughs> right? I'm sure that began right away. They said, well, we have to send this letter off to Laodicea. Well, just a minute, uh, leader of the congregation. <laughs> Could we take a couple of minutes and get some parchments out and start? We need a copy of that before you mail it off. And uh, take a kiss. You can stay at my house tonight or staying overnight. Because uh, Onesimus, you guys are welcome at my home, but bring the paper and the pens and we're going to make some copies. Because God hadn't created Xerox yet. IBM or whoever. This letter is from Paul, the chose, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come, or excuse me, and your uh, love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, and it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He's told us about the love uh, for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And I'd like to pause here and mention that in these first eight, what we call verses, this first passage of his letter, he's already, in an underlying way, demonstrated the Trinity. Sometimes we wonder about how do we get the Trinity out of the Bible. I mean, here in verse 1, as he's writing, he says, by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And by the time he gets to verse 8, he says, and he's told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. You know, when you understand that God is three in one, and we sang that this morning, thank you very much, Ed, worship team, for including that. And we sing about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we understand there is a trinity, and it just becomes part of our speech. Verse 9, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with 
all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This is one of those short sentences that we should always remember. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme, over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Your Bible or your notes may list this word, preeminence. You might even have it separated out with a chart, talking about the preeminence of Christ. Before everything, through him everything was made, was made. All things that were made were made for him. That means you and I were built and designed for God. We're his creation. We're made in his image. These are things we've been learning and talking about over the weeks. But you are made to glorify him. Everything about you is made to walk in unity and harmony with God. And the message title this week, of course, follows along with the Truth Project. Unio mystica, which means the mysterious union. How can God live in all of us at the same time and still be everywhere all at once? And we want to talk about that. Because Jesus is head over all of this. So he's first in everything. Verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I'm underlining that, but I I can do that real quick because mine's on 8.5 by 11 here. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Let me ask you a question. When you go before God, is that how you feel? When you go to pray and talk to God, do you come with this posture that says, Good morning, Father. Here I am, holy, without fault, and blameless? Anybody? Now, 
Now, that's the problem. Not many of us raise our hands, and those of us do kind of do it hesitantly because we should look around. You don't see if anybody else is going to do that. Kind of like back in the third grade. Make sure I'm not the only one with my hand sticking up. But this truth needs to grip our lives powerfully. We need to have a change of mind and heart. Because when we counter, we go against, we, we don't agree with the Word of God. Where's the problem? Is it with God? Is it with His Word? No, it's with us. And this is our error. And we're going to see this a little further on, but when I stand before God, I, I don't stand in my own. You don't stand in your own. If you did, then you should feel full of guilt, full of blame, full of wrong, full of faults. But that's not how we come. Could we come on our own merit, then we would agree with the Gnostics and we would agree with the aesthetics that there's something I can do to be better in order to please God. The truth is there's nothing more I can do than what Jesus has done on the cross. There's nothing more than I could do than the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in the person of Jesus in the flesh, living out his life, and then taking my sins to himself and nailing them to the cross. I can't do more than that. And I must stand in that. And when I come before the Father, I may need to admit, Father, I'm standing here, I feel full of faults. I feel full of blame. I feel full of shame. I feel this way. But your word says that I have none. And that you see me in the person of your son. You see the righteousness of your son on me and in me. And it's more than just an overcoat that if God was to strip away, he'd see all of our faults. It's literally become a part of our lives. We are with Christ. Christ is in us and we are in him. Therefore, it's ours. We're owners and participants in this blamelessness of Christ. Verse 23, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Mysterious union. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This assurance gives, uh, this gives you the assurance of sharing in his glory. This is the New Living Translation, which is a little bit foreign to me. Christ in you, the hope of glory, rings true in my King James heart. <laughs> Even in my new King James heart. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the secret that was packed away and mysterious for so many years, but it says God's now revealed it to the body. God's now revealed it to the people of the earth. God's given the revelation to the very fact that he manifested who he was and who he is by coming to the earth and living as a man. 
the God of the universe captured into a body. He did that so that we could touch him, so that we could see him, so that we could relate to him, so that he could be like us and bear in his own body the same infirmities, the same uh, to come and confront sin without ever sinning, but to take our infirmities, to take our sins, to take our weakness, and then bear them to the cross, nailing them there forever so that we could live in union with him. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect and mature in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by the strong ties of love. I want them to have a complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. I want them to be encouraged. He's writing this letter. Church, don't be confused by the stuff that's coming down the road. Don't let that mix of Judaism trap you into circumcision and the keeping of laws and new moons and Sabbaths and all the old stuff. Don't think that by some elevation of your mental state and finding portal passages through from the flesh to the spirit you'll gain access to the fullness of God don't allow yourself to think that by just working harder and diminishing your flesh anybody ever fasted that's a diminishment of the flesh right but we can even be trapped in our spiritual habits And devotions of fasting by thinking that somehow by my fasting and suppressing of my flesh that I'm going to gain better access, that I'm going to make God more happy, that I'm going to twist the arm of God into doing something he didn't want to do. Asceticism. I just want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge i'm telling you this he's writing this letter to us so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments there are some well-crafted arguments around us today they're happening all across the world a lot of them are zeroed in right here in our country and uh A big lot of them are being fashioned right here in our state. They're well-crafted arguments. Peggy and I were talking after we'd been through that part of the Truth Project concerning science and Darwin and and, uh, origin of the species. And she said, you know, I don't remember anybody ever teaching me evolution. Did anybody here ever have a class called Evolution 101? I don't recall that. And yet... As we see it now exposed, it's, a, it's basically a lie. It's an unfounded theory. Um, but that's not how it was handled while we were in school. In biology and in science and in history and all the other classes, anytime something nudged up against that theory, the language was such as though it was fact. And so it was just in the undertone and the underlying speech of all that we heard. And it was just subtle, but it was there. And that lie penetrated our belief systems and, and uh, is still 
very much in charge of what happens in the world. You know, if they find something today, they start screaming about carbon dating and this and that, and, and uh, this has got to be 60 billion years old, and you know, whatever they're, they're finding. And uh, the whole thing leans back into the lie one more time and uses this as a foundation to produce public understanding. Am I correct? Maybe not entirely correct, but I'm close. I'm telling you this, Paul writes in the first century, so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I'm far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you're living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers, the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And I think that's a verse we all ought to have circled, underlined, highlighted, 2.8, memorize it. Don't let the philosophies of the world overrun your mind when they come in and begin to erode the truth in Christ. Hang on to what you believe in Jesus, Paul is saying. Hold true and hold fast to the good news that saved you. Remember, it came to you and it saved you. In its simplicity, you went, that's good news. That's the truth. Jesus lived and died for me. My sins can be forgiven. I can be in union with God. I can have him live in my heart. I get the gift of eternal life. I'm going to be with God forever. I was designed to be in relationship and fellowship with him. This is awesome, and we accepted it by faith. And how do we know that it worked? We had a transformed life. Come on, how many of you are transformed from the way you used to be? <laughs> Amen and thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> I've often said that the, if you were to interview us, take us all back, uh, you know, rewind, uh, back to when all of us were unsaved and then put all of us in the same room. <laughs> I mean, there would be like no hope of any kind of getting along. We'd be so varied and so weird, uh, so diverse. Right? We'd be like, wow, what am I doing here with this lot of people? As they were saying, what are we doing here with him? Um, And yet Christ came and drew us to himself. And now we're related. That's a good thing to know on Thanksgiving week. We're family. So what time do I come? (laughs) Just go from dinner to dinner to dinner all Thursday. Now, here is what we really want to know coming out of today. Verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. Can we run that? uh, Let me give you a little commercial interruption. A little video. And if you're listening to this online, you go to www. You have to go. You have to search on a Google and get um, cup stacking world record 2008.
Slow motion replay. Put it on the wrong side. Sound effects. Sound effects, yeah. This mysterious union is presented to us as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is praying in John 17, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. And may they be complete in us. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and 7 and 8, 14 and 16. I mean, those are all chapters. When this he spoke of the Holy Spirit... He said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom had not yet come, because Jesus had not yet been glorified, but who would be with. Jesus said, he'll come and he'll be with you, and he'll be in you. So, I mean, I don't know if your mind wrestles these points or not like it should. Mine does. I'm not sure it does it like it should. (laughs) But it still wrestles it. I think, how do I... Begin to try to define, as Dr. Del Tackett does on the, even in the teachings, is how we we better approach this with fear and trembling when we take a finite piece of chalk on a finite plane and try and describe the infinite God. But I still think we look for ways to approach this understanding of how the Trinity and we come together. I'll take this right off of this week's Truth Project. If we take infinity and God is the infinite God, and we take infinity and divide it by, or multiply it, either one, by three, what do we get? Infinity. What if we took it by the number of people in this room, take infinity and divide it by the number in the room? We'll say there's 60 or 80 people here. Same thing. It's infinity. And, and we say, you ever wrestle with how does God live in me? And yet the promise of Jesus was, if you would invite us, Jesus said, if you'll invite me to come in, the Father and I will move in to you. Right? And we hear Paul says, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human form. We can't take God and divide him into little parts and everybody get a piece. So if Jesus coming as a man 
was able to have God live fully in him. And just stop for a second. Don't let that part in your head that says, oh, Jesus is without sin. Jesus was all God, all man. Jesus is the perfect man. Jesus is different than me. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus came to live in the flesh to show you and I the way. He said, I am the way. He's not just the pointer to the direction we should go. He is the carrier and conveyor of us getting there. Okay? I've often thought, uh, you know, you're driving along and you're in, you're in a car <clears throat> and you see a sign and it has the name of the place you want to go and an arrow that says, go that way. And so you look at this sign and you and you take all that in and you turn your car and you go left or the bus you're on turns or the plane banks or whatever, but it follows the direction. And we tend to think of Jesus as the sign because he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. He says, oh, he shows us the way. So Jesus is just the sign. No, Jesus is the car. He's the conveyor. You're in him. And he takes us. He becomes our ability to get there. He is Christ in you. The hope of glory. And then to say that in that Jesus and the Father were one, and then we invite the Holy Spirit to come in and infill us. At some point, I didn't mark these so that we'd ever know which one was us and which one was Him. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, I, I kind of think this is how it's supposed to come out. That there's such close to. Almost no distinction. They all start looking the same. Some of you were here back early in the year when I tried to go at this Christ in you. and or Paul reminds us that Christ inside of you is the hope of glory. And yet his common phrase to demonstrate who Christians were was, were those who were in Christ. I said, how do we get in and him in? and all? How does this work? That's why we call it Unio mystica, the mysterious union. We can't explain it, but do we believe it? And do we live by it? We draw our very life from the person of Jesus who saves us, who is one with the Father. And we depend upon the daily empowering of the Holy Spirit to drive us forward and to carry us in a lifestyle that's pleasing to the Father. And so we are united with him as one. That's why Paul wrote in the Galatians saying to that group of churches, I'm crucified, Christ, but I'm still alive. Yet it's not me that's living, it's Christ living in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. We... I think we need a revolution to come, a revelation, if you will, in our minds that moves into our heart that says God is not removed from us. He doesn't live somewhere else and He only comes when I call. That's sort of the butler God. You know, like, or the uh, bellhop God, depending on how you look at Him. You know, Oh, I have a need, so I'll call out to God. And He'll come from far away, wherever He is in the universe, to my command. Whoa! He doesn't obey me. But he lives with me. He lives in us. Infinite God can do this. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God can do this. Can we explain it? Well, this is a pretty finite attempt. 
And I know you were glad I wasn't going to try to do that whole <laughs> cup stacking thing. Surprisingly, last night, Elise Vasquez said in her, in her children's cells, they have a set of those cups and they do this. I thought, whoa, bring it on. I'd like to see that happen in person. Verse 11, chapter 2, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. In other words, your asceticism, your Judaism, your Gnosticism, you can cut off any part of your flesh you think is slowing you down, but it's not going to do you any good at making you a better person. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And I had a man come to me after service last night. This is probably too fresh and I won't name him, of course. But he came to me and said, you know, I felt like, because I'd been praying with him about an issue in his life, he said, I felt like something was cut out of me tonight. I said, hallelujah. Let's pray together. Let's agree on it. That is done in Jesus' name. And that circumcision of the heart took place by the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. By you coming more closely in union with Him and understanding His life in you, you no longer have to yield to that old thing. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. Your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ and He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for what, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial. It's the asceticism. Or the worship of angels saying that they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. And they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments. And it, and it grows as God nourishes it for you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world so why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle don't taste don't touch such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You see the reason for the letter? He's writing that don't, these other things are trying to encroach and teach you that the Jesus you believed in needs to be approached a different way than what we first told you. And he's saying, look, it's still the good news. Don't change it. Don't add to it. Don't try and make it harder than it is. Believe that when you come and stand before the Father, with all of this happening... Jesus and He one, us in Him, Holy Spirit in us. When I come and stand before the Father, and He says, I'm holy, and blameless, and without fault. All I need to say is, thank you. How many times did He say, be thankful, and thankfulness, and let your, be filled with love, and thankfulness. 
We should be thankful when we come before the Father. Say, Father, I don't really get it. We can be honest. I don't understand it fully. But I have a, a glimpse of this revelation that says, when I stand in front of you with all of this in place, this mysterious union that you decided would happen because I invited you to come in. All I did was make the invitation, but you came and you, and in this passage, you said he blotted out, he canceled the debts that were against you, the writings that were against you. I don't know how it's in your, your uh, Bible, your version, but basically what it's saying is that all the while that you were sinning, and aren't we concerned about this at times, that there's this list of all the things we've ever done. Some of us are concerned about seeing that in the final judgment. It's like having a board up here and we just give you the pen and let you write <clears throat> all the sins you can remember that you ever did. We could just leave you there for a while. As you write and write and write and write, and as you're honest before God, you say, can I get another couple boards? Can I just use the wall? Can I keep going? Because there's this huge list of indictments against us where we've sinned against God. This word, where it says that He came and canceled these things and took away the writing that was against you, held out in front of you. Every time you came before God, this list was in front, if you will. And it was a barrier between you and your relationship with God. Your sins, the Bible says, has separated you from Him, Christian or not, right? And so, when it says He canceled or espunged them, would be a good word. And in the Greek, it means that there was an anointing that came. Well, that doesn't happen in here. I appreciate it for you not whining while I'm preaching. <laughs> that if, if you can see, at some point you say, I think I'm done. I think I've listed everything I could possibly remember. And these are all the indictments against me that keep me out of fellowship with God. God says, okay, now I'm going to come with my anointing. I'm going to take my rag with oil on it. In this case, it's blood. And he takes it to the board and he begins to wipe. And when he gets done, the board looks awfully like that wall. Clean and white. And It's not one of those marker boards where after you wipe it, you can still read it faintly. There's just nothing there. And then he turns and he, he says, uh, how does that work for you? And you feel the unfairness of the moment. You say, well, I... I I don't understand. How can you do that? He said, because I love you. I can do that. But it's not fair that you would die to make that happen. He says, that's probably true. But I still did it. And you should take full advantage of it. Because this is how you look to the Father when you come and you stand in His presence. He sees what I did for you. I've espunged. I've anointedly removed. I didn't just faintly wipe over it, smear it. It's unreadable. It doesn't exist. I've canceled it. You died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why keep on following the rules that other people put in place for you to make your Christianity work better? Just believe him. Follow Him. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor. This is chapter 3 at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. 
If you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now's the time to get rid of anger and rage, malice, uh, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. Oh, He lives in all of us. He lives in all of those that call upon His name that live here in our community. And He does the same in all those all over the world, but let's not make it so grand that we never touch the reality of it. When you walk through this community and you see other believers, you have to understand that He's alive in them as much as He is alive in you and I. And there's a fellowship there to be had, and there's a union that He makes possible in the unity of who He is. I mean, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're not separated. And if that same fullness can dwell in every believer, then I have fellowship with every believer. Somehow. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, your wall, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Oh, how much better it would be if we could practice this on a regular basis. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together, all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be what? Thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its riches, richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with what hearts? Thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And I'm going to stop there. I'd love to read the rest of the the book. Because as follows, we find specific Admonitions to wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, masters. Specific application, I would recommend you continue to read that at home. Maybe finish it today. And say, which one do I fit into? And how do I apply this, what I'm hearing today? This mysterious union is... uh, It's fascinating. I can't do anything or go anywhere that Jesus doesn't go.
Have you thought of it? If it gets a grip on your life, things are going to change, okay? They're going to get better. But things are going to be accosted in you. And I, I really don't like confessing these things in public, but I watched a movie the other day. You know, guys, we get to that place where we just want to veg, right? You want to quit thinking. And so you put on the movie so that it does all the thinking for you. And then when the movie's over, all your thoughts come back. And you've had an hour and 40 minutes reprieve. And they come flooding back in. So it's really just kind of a drug of choice. Escape. Anyway, I watched this movie and as I was watching it, and people had recommended it to me, and I'm not even going to name it. And I thought, well, you know, it's good recommendations. People like it. Okay, so I found it in VHS and threw it in. And I found myself asking the question, why am I watching this? Why am I doing this? I thought, well, you're doing it because you just wanted to relax and just kind of hang out. That's why you're doing it. You're all by yourself and was around. I said, but yeah, but why am I doing this? I mean, this is me and Jesus on the couch. Is he enjoying this? You, you enjoying this? I don't think so. You know, there was violence and guys like the, you know, shoot them up, bang, bang stuff. And, you know, that's where we go. We have our own channel, I understand, Spike or something. I don't know. Men's movies, you know, there's a lot of action and, ooh, ooh. you know what? I found myself being really put off again and thinking, this isn't how we're built. This isn't how we're designed. You know? You gotta sit on the couch with your popcorn, get two bowls, put one there, put your arm out like this and say, Jesus, are you having a good time? <laughs> Do you like the popcorn? Do you like the movie? And if we can't say in all of our heart that he's having a good time, we probably aren't having a good time either. We're probably doing something that's injurious to us. And again, let's not get caught up in I can do better and I can have better actions and I can do aesthetic things and I can do Gnostic things. And Nor should we swing the other way in, uh, to the word, big long word licentiousness. That means just casting off restraint. I mean, if it doesn't matter what my body, my body's evil anyway, I might as well just let it go. Do whatever it wants to do because it doesn't matter. There's no redemption in my body anyway. That's not true because Jesus in his body went to the cross. And through a body was able to not only curtail but dismiss the sins against us. Since we're raised with Christ, we put to death, the, the scripture says. And can you imagine that we were just hearing this letter read for the first time? Wow, I'm supposed to have some action at this mortifying, it says in the King James, putting the body of sin to death. It literally means wrestle these things that are in you, that lurk in you, that come up from time to time, wrestle them to the ground and hold them there until the power of the Holy Spirit living in you destroys its strength so that it can no longer get up and cause you problems. Say, Lord, I've got this one pinned, but I can't hold it long. Come Holy Spirit and crush the old nature one more time. The old man has tried to get up. What am I talking about? I'm talking about those times when rage flares up inside and anger, unforgiveness and bitterness. Listen, it's not the external you know, stuff that we tend to point at that's on the outside of people that we say, well, that's a sin, that's a sin, that's a sin, that's a sin. Listen, it's the stuff inside that kills us. So pride and arrogance and unforgiveness and bitterness and things that happen in our heart that destroy and erode who we are in Christ. 
And when those things become apparent to us and the Holy Spirit shines His light on it, we go, oh, wrestle that thing to the ground. Pin it there and say, now get it, Holy Spirit. And live in me. Live in me and crush that thing. Let me have more of Christ and less of me. I mean, this equation is perfect with these three. We're the odd man out. And God says, I'm inviting you into this moment. The four of us together can do this. You on your own don't have a chance. Father, this morning I ask that you would help us. Help us, help us, help us. Help us to go beyond knowing things in our head. Or these simple illustrations can help, but we need revelation by the Holy Spirit. We need something broken, open in us. A new anointing, a new freshness of insight that comes from the Holy Spirit so that we'll know, really know, what we've heard or what we've read. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be lifted in our spirit today and in our approach to life that we would find ourselves being raised up in a feeling of the enormity of you living in us. The complete satisfaction that comes from being united with Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to sense the tremendous victory that is available therein by you living in us. And that you would help us to Wrestle those things to the ground that come against us. Those things that come up from time to time and cause us to yield over to the old man that was crucified and bring him back to life for the day or for the moment. Help us to be those who are thankful when we come before you in our actions. We would come with open hearts, receiving humbly what you've provided. Father, that you would... Grant us this grace today that we might live more fully inhabited by you, in union with you. That the truth of who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect unity, would be in us. You would make us in union with you. Lord, and I pray also that you would not allow us to leave it at the individual level. We wouldn't just do it for ourselves. But then we would open our eyes to the church and the body of Christ around us and say, I am one with these. For the infinite God dwells in all of us and we are His together. I ask it in Jesus' name. For you said whatever I would ask in and through the person of your Son, He would do for us. I am confident, Father, that you will. While we're praying, I might ask, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, you've heard that he can wipe your wall clean. You've heard that there are mounds of evidence against you today that condemn you in his presence. You don't have the ability to come and stand before God without blame or fault. Yours are still in place, for you've never asked him to forgive them. You can do that right now. And I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And I want you to say this to Jesus. Jesus, I acknowledge today that I am a sinner. 
My sins are before you. My sins are against you. And they're against me. I need you to save me from my sin. I want you to save me. Jesus, be my Savior. Take away my sins. I confess them to you, all of them at once. Here they are. You know them even better than I. For I've offended you. Forgive me. Remove them. And grant to me life eternal. Bring me into this mysterious union with you. And grant me new life. I want to live for you. Help me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now the Bible says that when you ask Jesus to come in, He is good to His word and He will come in. He also, Paul writes to us and says that if any man or woman be in Christ, it's a brand new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become brand new. And all those brand new things are from God. Therefore you today may stand thankfully in His presence, holy, without fault, and blameless. Not because of your actions. The only action that made that possible is you asking Jesus to come in. That makes it possible, but not by your goodness, by His. So go home thankful. And do this before you leave. If you ask Jesus into your heart this morning, it's the first time you've prayed that prayer. Don't leave without telling somebody you did it. You just, right as we're dismissing, just go right to the person closest to you and say, I did that. You might even say, and now what do I do? Because you can grow. You can come back. You can be in one of our cell groups that's listed on the, on the back of this sheet. There are places for you to begin to grow. You're like a brand new little plant. And that new little plant needs to be planted and rooted and grounded in Christ. And we do that together. Right? Okay. So God bless you. Have a great afternoon. And thank you for spending your time here this morning in the house.